Welcome, everyone. Thank you for being here today. Um, you're in the Book in One Hour Colossians class, so we will obviously cover all of Colossians in one hour. Get ready. Um, but my name is Katie Carroll. I'm the Junior High Youth Director, and if I haven't met you, which most of you I have met, um, please come introduce yourself afterwards because I'd love to get to know you. And um, then this is Russell who is a student at Birmingham Southern College and also has the privilege of being our intern this summer with the youth group. And so he's agreed to be our reader so that you don't have to listen to my voice for the entire hour. So thank you, Russell, for agreeing. Um, And so like I said, we're going to try to cover the book of Colossians in one hour. And I chose the book of Colossians because it's my favorite. I absolutely love it. And I'm very familiar with it. So I thought, you know, it's four chapters. That, that'll be great for this Sunday school class. What I didn't realize is that there is a lot of information in Colossians. So there's a lot that we're going to have to skip past and just um, look at another time. So I'm hoping that at the very least this will get you interested so that you can look at it in your own time and kind of dig in further. Um, and the reason that Colossians is my favorite is because it kind of, if you get tangled up in your own thoughts and your own worries, Colossians is like getting on an airplane and taking off and being able to see everything from 25,000 feet above. It reminds you, where am I, who am I, and what really matters. Um, so with that, I would like to apologize for the fact that we can't look at it all, but hopefully, again, you can dig in and it'll pique your interest. Um, so let me pray for us and we will get started. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this day and for the many, many ways that you've blessed us. Thank you for the chance to gather with your people and for your word. Thank you for not leaving us in the dark, but for giving us the gift of scripture. So I pray now that you would send your Holy Spirit and that you would work in our hearts and our minds. And I pray that all of my words would be honoring to you and that you would draw us near to you throughout this hour. And it's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. Okay, so just a brief intro into the book of Colossians, which you can go ahead and flip open to if you're not already. It's um, near the back of the Bible, so past all the Gospels. And um, Colossians was a letter of Paul that he wrote while he was in prison in Rome. And he wrote it because um, Epaphras, who founded the church at Colossae, came and visited him and was telling him about some of the false teachings that the church and in Colossae was dealing with. So he went and talked to Paul. Paul had actually never been to Colossae. He never got to visit that church, but he was in Ephesus, which was about 80 miles away for three whole years. So that's probably why the church was founded when Epaphras was hearing Paul preaching in Ephesus, all the complicated words, and then took that word back to Colossae and founded that church. Um, so it was a smaller town, uh, one commentator called it insignificant, but I love the letter that came from it. Um, and so we know that he's writing against some false teachings. We don't really know what the false teachings are, but we can make some good guesses based on what he actually says in the letter. Um, so one thing that I notice about Colossians as I read through it is that it he continually, Paul brings it back to Jesus as the foundation. And how Christ actually is your life. So the theme for this whole hour is going to be the idea of Christ being our life as Christians, which comes from chapter three. So I'm just going to read that really quickly. I know it's out of order, but in chapter three, verses one through four, 
It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So when I look at the whole just trajectory of the book, I think this is very central, the idea that Christ is your life. So what we're going to do this morning, as we read through the entire book, we're also going to look at what does it mean for Christ to be your life, and how is that possible? How can Christ be your life? And um, what does it look like for Christ to be your life? So we're going to keep coming back to that as we look at all these other themes in Scripture. Um, So with that, why don't we dive in and wrestle, if you would, read for us from chapter 1. We're going to read kind of a big chunk at first, so hang on, buckle up. We're going to go for verses 1 through 23 of chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful member of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to Sorry. giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Perfect. Thank you. So, there was a lot in that, but the reason we read all the way to 23 is because I want to first look at verses 19 through 22, which I think is a perfect explanation of how and why Christ can be our life. So if we look back at verse 19, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death 
in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So this, when we talk, we throw around the word gospel all the time, but here it is. This is the gospel, the idea that we were alienated and doing evil deeds. So we are separated from God. Alienated is a very strong word. But Christ, who is the fullness of all deity, he has all of God in his person, came and lived a perfect life for us, and then died a death on the cross, and in doing so, paid for our sins. But then he also reconciled us to God. So he brings us into the family of God. Um, And so I love that verse that says, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Um, And so not only are we reconciled to God, but we're also holy and blameless and above reproach because of Christ and his record for us. So this is how Christ is our life. Christ can be our life because of what he did and who he is. So I wanted to start there and then let's rewind a little bit and look at some of the stuff that we skipped. Um, If you look back at verse 15, it's um, all of these praises and accolades of Christ. And I picture the Apostle Paul as he's writing this. It's almost as if he's packing a suitcase and he's throwing clothes into a pile And he just keeps throwing more and more in. He just can't resist it. It's all necessary. He's got to keep tossing more ideas into that suitcase. So by him, all things were created in heaven and earth. Um, All things are created not only through him, but for him. And then in verse 17, I want to focus in on the idea that he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. For some reason, that verse always jumps out to me every time I read this, this chapter. And I think the reason it does is because it stands in direct opposition to what we experience in our everyday lives. Sometimes things fall apart. So when I was in high school, I don't know if any of you guys have read this, but I read the book Things Fall Apart by Chinua Achebe. Anybody? No? Well, it's a a book by a Nigerian author, and it's about colonialism. And honestly, I couldn't tell you a whole lot about the book at this point, but for some reason that phrase, things fall apart, that title stuck in my mind. And so in life, as things happen, I find myself thinking that phrase, that title of that book, that things fall apart. So if you think about it, we all see it. We'll start with something simple like objects, just physical things fall apart. Water pipes burst, windshields on your car, (laughs) windshields on your car get a crack in it and you have to replace the whole thing your favorite pair of jeans wears a hole um ice makers break that one happened to me this this week and being summer i was very traumatized by this way too much um and so if you leave things on their own naturally they're just going to fall apart things fall apart and then you think about relationships as well not just physical objects but um where there was once peace and joy and understanding, there can be bitterness and arguments and disagreements. We've all had that happen in friendships and in even more significant relationships. So this is the natural order of things outside of Christ. Things fall apart. But this verse in 17 says that in him all things hold together. In Christ all things hold together. So that's a huge contrast. Things holding together in Christ versus things fall apart naturally. And that makes me stop dead in my tracks because this is really good news. Um, In Christ, we can trust that he is in control of everything and he's holding it. And also that one day he's going to be making all things right and new. And it also takes the pressure off of our shoulders, right? So it doesn't say all things hold together if you have a perfectly organized schedule. 
perfectly streamlined and you've got all of your time accounted for. It doesn't say things hold together if you study well enough in advance. It doesn't even say things hold together if you're the smartest person in the room. That's not what it says. It says things hold together in Christ. And that is such good news because how often do we succeed in actually holding all things together of our own strength? We've all seen things fall apart when we're putting our own efforts in it. But this is a promise to lean into for yourself, for that person on your prayer list that things just keep going wrong for. And even just for the systems of this world in general, lean into the promise and the hope that all things hold together in Christ and that one day he will make all things new because of who he is and that he's the fullness of deity. Um, so that's where I wanted to start this whole idea of what it looks like to have our life hidden in Christ. The idea that we can have the hope and trust that things hold together in Christ. So with that, I think we're going to keep trucking along and read um, verses 24 through chapter 2, verse 5. If you would for us. I will. Okay. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Have you read that in church this morning? Sorry. Um, fun, fun side note. That was, was on it? purpose. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> also, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Jesus Christ. Awesome. That's great. Thank you. So, again, I forgot in my introduction, one of the reasons I love Colossians so much is it has this beautiful, startling language. It uses epic words. And um, so the next thing I want to look at of the idea of Christ is your life is the idea that Christ dwells in you, the hope of glory, which is in verse 27. And it calls this a mystery. And so if you look at verse 26, it says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And when I hear this, it's almost as if it's the preview to some sort of amazing mystery or spy movie. I can hear that deep male voice introducing the movie. The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Doesn't it sound kind of like a preview of a movie? This is a big deal. A mystery that's been hidden forever and revealed to his saints. And what is that mystery? The mystery is the fact that Christ dwells in us as believers. That we are unified with Christ. Um, and that gives us the hope of glory. So we're going to work that out a little bit more. But that's the second point, the idea of us being unified with Christ and him dwelling inside us as believers. So then in verse two, if you'll skip down to chapter two, verse two with me, it says, um, 
to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's another phrase that jumps out at me. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if there is a PhD to be had, Christ has it. He could teach the courses because he knows everything that there is to know. He's the ultimate expert in every field ever. He has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But then a few verses ahead, it says that Christ is in us. So this fullness of deity that has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge dwells in us as believers. That is incredible and is a huge mystery. So we're going to keep looking at the idea of what it looks like to have Christ dwell in you. But for now, let's keep reading through verse 15, chapter 2, verse 15. So 5 to 15. Mm -hmm. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according with the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Excellent. Thank you. So, further working out the idea of what it looks like for Christ to dwell in you, if you look in verse 6 and 7, it says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So this is another example. It's an exhortation for something that we should do. But for the exhortation to exist, that means that the possibility also exists. So the promise that we can be rooted and built up in Christ. So these are very strong, stable words. Just is a picture of strength to me. The idea of being rooted and built up and established. And then if you skip down further to verse 10, it says, well, let's start at verse 9 actually. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So this idea comes back again that Christ himself is the fullness of God. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Again, beautiful, startling language of God, of Christ being very God and that we've been filled in him. And he's the head of all rule and authority. He's the ultimate authority. There is no power above him, yet he dwells inside of us. Again, that is a huge mystery and a beautiful, beautiful thing. And then look down to verse 13 with me as well. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So, again, it's talking about how we were completely dead in our trespasses. We were alienated, doing evil deeds, and God made us alive through Christ, alive together with Christ. So a complete reversal from death to life. And 
I, it just makes perfect sense that he uses the word mystery so often in chapter chapters one and two, because this indeed is nothing that we would think up on our own. It's a huge mystery. Um, so that's another thought that I wanted to focus in on for what it looks like to have Christ be your life, which we're almost back to that verse in and of itself. But we've looked at the idea that Christ lives in us, which gives us the hope of glory, and also that he holds all things together and that we can cling to that promise that in Christ all things hold together, not only ourselves, but also all things in the world. So let's move on and read verses 16 through the end of the chapter. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Although I disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourishing it together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Right. This is referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Excellent. So here we have Paul kind of moving more into the exhortations, talking about what it looks like to live as a Christian. And but again, he keeps pulling everything back to Christ and the idea of the person and work of Christ and what that means for how we should act and how we should live. And so it talks about in verse 17 that the the shadow of the things to come is what we see and interact with, but the substance belongs to Christ. So even when it's these rules that they're talking about, which I'm assuming some of the false teachings were popping up around this issue um, at the church in Colossae, it's saying the substance actually belongs to Christ. So again, whoop, bring it back to Christ. He's central. He's the one that holds all things together and has all rule and authority and all wisdom and knowledge. And then later on, it refers to Christ as the head. So it says in verse 19, um, talking about the opposite and exhorting us not to hold to anything else, but hold fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So the head being Jesus Christ and the promise being that the whole body, which could be the church, Christ is the head of the church and every Christian is a member of that body um, and he's the head and he nourishes and knits it together. So more language of Christ being our foundation and our central aspect of who we are as Christians. Just like it said, we are rooted and built up in him earlier in chapter two. Now it says that Christ is the head, nourishes and knits us together and gives us a growth that is from God. <clears throat> so with that, we're going to go ahead and move into chapter three. Y'all are doing a great job hanging on. Um, and I know that we're skipping a lot, but we want to make it through the whole book. So let's read chapter three and we're going to go through verse 17. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk through your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, mm -hmm. slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, and you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Uh, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Excellent. Thank you. So this is one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. And when I was thinking about it, I just kept thinking, it's just pure gold. Pure gold. Every time I read verses 1 through 4, it's, I'm almost compelled to write it down on a note card and tuck it in my pocket and carry it around. So I want to read that one more time. We started with it, and now we've made it back. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So this is where we get the whole theme of the book, in my mind. Christ, who is your life. And we talked about in chapter 1 how that's possible because of his work and his life here on earth and then how he died on the cross for us and then was raised from the dead and was the firstborn from the dead. I think I actually skipped that accidentally. It calls Christ the firstborn from the dead, meaning he was the first person to ever live through death, be raised to life again, and then go on to live for eternity. He's not going to die again. That was it. He came back to life and is going to keep living for eternity. So are we, when Christ died, we as Christians were united with him and actually died with him. And now our life is hidden with Christ and God. So this is really great news because we don't have to continue the search for what our life's value should be about. We don't have to continue to try to find our value in whether we're the best student or whether we're the most respected person at our work or whether we have the most friends and the house that we always wanted or the family that we always wanted. We don't have to seek to define ourselves and get our value from those things because it literally says here that our life is hidden with Christ and God and he is our life. So our value can never be shaken. It's not up to you or to me to define what our value in life is. We know the answer to that question. The value of our life is through Jesus. We have his record. And so the idea of our life being hidden with Christ and even stronger language, Christ who is your life. And it also has that beautiful promise at the end of verse four that says, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So this is 
a promise. When Christ comes back physically, then we will also see glory with him and we'll experience the joy of his glory because we're united in him. Christ dwells in us as Christians and as believers. And then rewinding a little bit to chapter to verse two, it says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And this has always been a favorite verse of mine, but I always wrestle with it because if you interpret it the wrong way, you might take it to mean, well, I just need, I need to think about Jesus and God and the Bible all the time. You know, it's bad if I think about soccer or school or my job or whatever else, you know, and you can read it as if, oh man, I need to be a monk or a nun. Like I need to set my mind always on the things of God and just leave it there. But that's actually not what what we're called to do, as we'll see later in this chapter. But it's a set point. It's something to return to. So our minds go lots of different directions, and they should. And we should be living and doing all of these things for God's glory. But that's our set point. We come back to the things that are above. That's our foundation. It's where we rest. We rest in the fact that we have been united with Christ and that he is our life and that he's the value of our life. So therefore, we can set our minds on things that are above, whether things are falling apart or whether they're holding together for the moment. We know that our set point is with Christ in God. So we're going to skip ahead a little bit. It talks about putting off the old self with its practices and putting on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That was verses 9 through 10. Sorry, I didn't take y'all there with me. Um and that's just another beautiful illustration of how our value is not in, it's not in our hands to create our value because we've actually been giving a new self in Christ and it's being renewed in the knowledge after the image of our creator. Again, beautiful startling language, beautiful promises. And then in verse 11, it says Christ is all and in all. So again, the apostle Paul bring it right back to Christ, right back to how Christ is through everything. Everything was created through him. He's above all things, all wisdom and knowledge. He is all and is in all, including us. And so then I want to skip down to verses 16 through 17, and let's read those again together. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word and or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So this is what I was talking about back in verse 2. The idea that everything that we do in word or deed can be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for him. So it's not saying don't do anything besides your classic church things. It's saying everything that you do, do it for me, not as if for man. So we're going to... Keep reading here and see that he talks about that a little bit more. Um, and yeah, so let's read verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 6 now. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. This pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are sorry, slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with the sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. 
you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Great. Thank you. Okay, so we're getting close. Y'all are doing a great job. Almost through the whole, the whole book. So we have some rules here for Christian households. And so more exhortations for what it looks like to live life as a Christian. And I want us to focus in on verse 23 of chapter 3, which says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So this reminds me of verse 17 when it says that everything that we should we do in word or deed to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, this is not only an exhortation, it's also a promise and it's a hope because it's saying we don't have to work primarily for ourselves or for our own goals in trying to find our own value in what we accomplish or even for the people who are above us. You know, you, you don't have to do all of your schoolwork just for your teachers or for your own personal record. You can work um, for the Lord in and through his strength and work as if you're working for the Lord and not for men. And he's the one that's going to give you your inheritance and your reward. So I just think that's a beautiful promise to be reminded of in the daily grind. When you get discouraged, remember that you're working for the Lord Christ, not man or even yourself. And then one thing that we've skipped through in these other chapters is the centrality of prayer and thanksgiving. Colossians mentions that so many times, both in Paul praying for the church and Epaphras praying for the church. And here in verse two, it says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful with it in thanksgiving. So because we have this mystery of Christ dwelling in us, we always have reason to give thanks. And we are exhorted over and over again to remember to set our minds on those things that are above and to thank God for those things. And I love verses five and six that say, Conduct yourself wisely towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So this gives us the permission to consider where people are coming from and to be ready and willing to speak about Christ. If our minds are set on him and he is our life and he dwells in us and he is our value, then we should be ready and prepared and joyful to speak about him to others and to actually let that be a part of our speech to the world. So with that, make sure I didn't skip through anything. I mean, we skipped a lot of stuff, but let's read the rest of the chapter or the rest of the book and have some final thoughts. So starting in verse seven. Titius will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. Uh, 
It will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers of Laodicea and to Nymphia and to the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read to the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the, the ministry that you have received from the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Excellent. Thank you. All right. Congratulations. We read through the whole chapter or the whole book. Um, so here at the end, obviously, we have a lot of greetings, a lot of complicated words and people. We see Epaphras, who was the one who founded the church at Colossae, and I actually want to look at what Paul says he's been praying. So if you'll look at verse 12 with me, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So, again, bringing it back to the prayers of the leaders of the church for the members of the church and this promise that we have the hope of standing mature and fully assured in the will of God because of Christ and who he is. And again, this is a huge promise. What more could we want than to be mature and fully assured in the will of God? And so just as an overview, as we look at the whole chapter, it's like most letters of Paul, starts with a greeting, ends with a greeting, talks about all these different characters that are involved in this area. But, and it's to combat different false teachings that were an issue in this church. But over and over again, Paul brings it back to Christ and how central Christ is and how he is our life. Our life is hidden in him and how as Christians, we have the promise of being unified with Christ, that he dwells in us. And then there's so many praises I would really encourage y'all to go back and read and dig in to more that we skipped over and some of the exhortations that he gives as well. But that whole section in uh, chapter 1, verses 15 and following is great. We could spend like a whole lesson on each one of those phrases and what that means and works it out. And, you know, I was looking up some different sermons and things on Colossians, and that's what people do. They take one phrase and they talk about that one phrase for 45 minutes. So... Again, apologies that we had to zoom through this so quickly, but hopefully there's been at least one promise or reality that stuck out to you in a new way today. The idea that Christ holds all things together, and so things fall apart in our, our natural world, but in Christ we have that glorious promise, and that we're united with him and have the hope of glory, and we can do all things for and through him, rather than for people or to establish our own value and what we accomplish on our own terms and strength. So thank you all so much for coming. I hope you've enjoyed it. And please, if especially you guys, if you're reading this later and you want to talk about it, please come talk to me about it because there is 
so many, so many wonderful promises that we just skipped right over and passed through for the sake of time. So with that, let me close us in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you so much for coming and being with us during this time. Uh, thank you for the many realities that we've remembered today. Thank you that you hold all things together, Lord Christ. Thank you that you dwell in us and the hope that that gives us. I pray that we would all live from a place where we remember that you dwell in us and that we are filled in you and that our life is hidden with you. And so I pray that that would be an encouragement and a hope for us as we leave this room. And I pray that you would continue to help us to get to know you better and to um, be closer to you in all ways. And it's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. All right. Well, we're, we're pretty much out of time, but if anyone has any comments or questions or disagreements, I would love to hear them. So I'll just toss it out there. Oh, well, wonderful. Sure. And I have to tell you that the phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory, has, when that, when that was open to my understanding, that Christ lives in me was an awesome thing. So therefore, the way we are in the world, when it talks about your salt and your light and all of this, what, how we relate to the world, how I relate to the world, which is not a pleasant place to always be, and you're not always with people that you really want to be with, but it is the Christ in me that is reflected in the way I react. And to me, that's such an awesome just that little phrase, mm -hmm. Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's why we are on this earth, to reflect his life to a dark world. Mm -hmm. And we can only do it, mm -hmm. we can't do it, but he can do it in us mm -hmm. when we let him. You know, there are times you don't really want to let him. You're really kind of mad and you don't want to let him. We all experience that. But that's part of the difficulty or the, uh, the contrast of, of living the life of a Christian in a dark world. Mm -hmm. We will not be loved and liked because the world says, oh, get even. You don't have to be nice. You know, you don't have to speak to them. They didn't treat you right. Or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's just a very powerful thing to remember if he abides. When we, when we let him into our heart, when we open the door and let him in, he will be there forever. And uh, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, that's a great, amazing promise. He will Wonderful. reveal it. To each and every one of us in his time. Mm -hmm. You can hear it in your head and believe it in your head and understand it in your head, but he opens it to our heart and only the Holy Spirit will do that. So it's awesome. Absolutely. That's so true. 
Thank you. Well, thank you all so much for coming. And again, dig in in your own time and come talk to me about it because I'd love to continue the conversation. So hope you all have a great week. <laughs>